Hello again, my name is Michael. And I'm Grace. And welcome back to Disney Through the Ages. On this show, my husband and I are watching every animated Disney movie in order, starting with Snow White and continuing, you know, through the ages. This week is not a package film. Uh, so after watching each movie, we're going to come here and give a review and talk about whether these old classics hold up to modern standards, as well as seeing how Disney movies have evolved over the years. This week, we're watching movie number 12, Cinderella. It's not a package film! So, expectations are high. <laughs> 11 out of 10. Best movie I've ever seen. No, I, I really am excited for this one. Um, this is one that we've watched more recently, uh, just because, you know, Princess movies in general are among some of Disney's best movies, and Cinderella is among the best of the princess movies, in my opinion, anyway. And, of course, we've watched the live-action Cinderella um, with Helena Bonham Carter. She's a treasure. And that was, you know, within the past few years, anyway. And so um, I I remember this one fairly well. I know it's going to be good. I've seen it way more than I've seen most other Disney movies, anyway. Yeah, I am looking forward to watching it with fresh eyes. I will say, I think Cinderella may be my most watched Disney movie. Really? I mean, I watched it a million times as a kid. I literally learned to use a VHS, anyone remember what those are? (laughs) So that I could watch this movie over and over and over again. Our children want to be part of the podcast, so if you hear them barking in the background, I'm sorry. I'm not that good at editing. (laughs) So, So, I've just seen it so many times so i mean growing up i had all my stuff was cinderella it was cinderella comforter and cinderella toys and everything cinderella yeah and i know you've told me before that like you learned how to use a vhs player so that you could uh watch movies while you fell asleep too and i'm sure cinderella was probably one of those so exactly yeah so it sounds like we both have pretty similar high expectations for this movie so i guess let's uh dive right into it Ten out of ten was not a package film. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> so good. <laughs> There's like an actual like plot and like music and crazy to think that that kind of movie could ever exist. <laughs> exactly. I think it just kind of shows how they went through so many tough things, but then we hit the jackpot. Like this is the pinnacle of like. Disney right here like oh yeah so uh let's see if we can remember how to do this since it's been so long since we reviewed a normal movie but uh we we try we try to have like a kind of a set path for our conversations to follow with these reviews which is kind of starting with the plot and originality and then moving into the music and then moving into the quality of the acting and animation and things like that um so starting up with the plot it's Cinderella like If you don't know Cinderella, you're not listening to this podcast because you're not a Disney fan. (laughs) But on the off chance that someone doesn't know what Cinderella is, Cinderella is living with her stepmother and her two stepsisters, and they're terrible to her, and her dad had passed away, and so she's basically a slave to her stepmother and step-siblings, and... um, they go to a ball, but then she wasn't going to be able to go, so the fairy godmother... uh, transforms a pumpkin into a carriage and mice into the horses and gives her a nice dress. She goes, her and the prince fall in love. Uh, she loses a slipper. Uh, that's slippers, how they find her happily ever after. Well, that's kind of the gist of the plot, right? Pretty much. Yeah. 
So, uh, originality, I think watching this movie, I noticed a lot of things that like, this was the first time that happened in a movie Mm. and it's so cliche now, but for the time it was brand new. For example, starting with once upon a time, this was the first Disney movie that said once upon a time at the beginning. It was also the first Disney movie that said happily ever after at the end, which I realized Upon seeing that, because I'd been thinking about the movie Ever After with Drew Barrymore a little bit earlier, well, when we first started watching the movie, I'll, I'll bring that up in a minute. Um, but I wonder if that's why it's called Ever After, is because this was the first movie to use the phrase happily ever after. Yeah, very possibly. That's why, I don't know, it just feels like the pinnacle of Disney. Like, this is this is it. This is what we've been aiming for, and we hit the mark Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you think Disney cliches and fairy tales and happily ever after, you're thinking of this movie, and it's because this set the stage for all of that. The reason these things became cliches is because Cinderella did it so well that everyone and their brother emulated it for decades to come. Yeah, so even though it may not feel original now, like in the time, it all this was super original. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've never, I've never watched this movie with that mindset, you know, because as a kid. I would have seen it here or there just because, like, my sisters wanted to watch it or my cousins wanted to watch it. You know, I wasn't, like, a, I wasn't the kind of kid to turn on princess movies all the time or anything. And so it was just a movie that I knew of, and I didn't really think about the history of it. And even as an adult, I knew it was an old movie, but I never thought about it in the context of, like, like this is the point of what we're doing with Disney through the ages is, is to see the progression. And this was, I would argue this is the first quintessential Disney movie. Like when you think of Disney, you think of Disney princesses and things and Snow White was great, but it wasn't the same caliber. It was like, I mean, there's over 10 years difference. So like you can see how far animation has come since then mm-hmm. and how much Disney, the person and the company has grown. Yeah. So uh, I guess let's dive into, the plot um, and the originality, like we were talking about, uh, of course, it is based on an old fairy tale. Um, and one thing that I've noticed while we were watching the movie is that during the ball scene, uh, they're trying to get her attention and they're like, Mademoiselle, and then Senorita. Yeah. And it's like, I had to look up, where is this set? Um, so the original story, the, the, the Disney movie Cinderella doesn't have a specific setting where it is supposed to be placed um they just never specified but the original story at least well the original story that this is based off of is set in france the reason i say the original story it's based off of is because there are lots of cinderella like stories leading back all the way to like ancient egypt and stuff but yeah so i was assuming france because at the very beginning they called the homo chalet mm-hmm. yeah yeah, so that that's one thing that people say about it. Uh, also, the fact that they say Mademoiselle and things. But also, like I said, you know, the original story was supposed to be based in France. And so that makes sense as to why they would say Mademoiselle, Senorita. Spain is right there next to France. And probably nobles in like a medieval time would probably know each other even though they were in different countries. Countries didn't exist in the same way that we think of them now. Uh, back then, you know, the borders weren't as strict and stuff. So uh, I just thought that was a little interesting history tidbit. I feel like the plot is very straightforward. There's this very linear progression. Like it all like really makes sense. Yeah. uh, The only thing that doesn't make sense out of context is that all these animals are helping her 
which in the context is just because she's like really sweet and everything. And I, I really liked that. Uh, I wrote down the, the mice are like literally the real heroes of this movie. Like sure. The fairy godmother kind of swoops in and steals all the glory and saves the day. But like they did the work throughout this movie. Although I, I guess also the driving force behind a good chunk of the movie is just that the king wants grandkids. Yes. Yes. I loved that. It was so funny how I never would have noticed that when I was younger. But now that we've been married for a while, it's like I see some of this in people. You know, I mean, we're we're fortunate that our parents haven't been crazy about, like, you know, pushing us or things like that. But there's always, you know, you meet someone and they're like, oh, so when are you guys going to have kids? Just because, like, it's the expectation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it felt very much like what the king was doing there. Yeah. And he was all like. I mean, come on. One of these girls has to make a suitable mother. Uh, uh, wife, sir. Exactly. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. But yeah, the mice truly are the heroes. They are there for Cinderella. Cinderella day in and day out. And they they realize, they recognize what's going on. They're very, I don't know, they're very intuitive. And so they know that the stepmother's going to, or Cinderella to do all these things, she's not going to have time to do this dress. Like, yeah, Cinderella's getting all excited that her stepmother said she could go to the ball if she got all her chores done and if she could find something suitable to wear. And one of the mice, I think it was Jacques, was just like, "She's not going to the ball," because <laughs> he he could tell that the stepmother yeah. was going to be up to no good. And, yeah. So they, I mean, she's just. In this abusive cycle, day after day after day, and she finally gets this glimmer of hope, and she's so dejected, and these mice show her the most kindness. Yeah, and, and you know, even though the the stepmother prompts the stepsisters to basically tear apart the dress that she's made, or that the mice have made for her, and then, and then the fairy godmother comes and repairs, not repairs it, but like upgrades and makes her beautiful to go to the ball and everything. I feel like we always focus on the fairy godmother being like the hero of the story, but then like, that's all she does is that little scene of bippity boppity boo. And then later on, Cinderella's locked in her tower when the Duke is there trying on the slippers to, to see, you know, because the Prince falls in love and Cinderella loses her slipper. And so the Duke has to go around trying the slipper on everyone every female in the land to see if the shoe fits. And so, you know, her stepmother locks her in the tower and the mice works so hard to get the key and bring it all the way up the stairs, which I mean, that's a long distance for little tiny mice to be stepping a key up. It's real heavy and all. And then like Lucifer, the cat is being awful to Gus and they're fighting the cat with like forks as pitchforks and and a candle that's like a mortar that they're pointing at him and it's just like they are really going all out to help cinderella in every way they possibly can and you can totally understand why because at the beginning you see how kind she is to them she throws down the extra feed for the uh, mice to get and things like that she gives them clothes yeah she gets gus gus out of the trap so that he won't be able to so so that lucifer won't eat him and she she fights lucifer off before he's trying to eat him because you know cats trying to eat mice and um but even even with that lucifer with the name like lucifer she even sees good in him and she tells the dog she the dog uh bruno is dreaming about chasing lucifer and she's like did you catch him and 
the Bruno's all happy, like, yeah, I caught Lucifer in my dream. And he's and she's like, no, that's bad. Yeah, she's she's trying to find good even in Lucifer. She couldn't actually find anything good about Lucifer, <laughs> but she tried. And she, even if she can't find anything good about him, she's still trying to be kind to him, which is just great. Agreed. Also, just a side note, I thought it was hilarious that she named Gus Gus Octavius. But we'll call you Gus for short. I'm like, how do you get Gus from Octavius? Like... I jokingly called my nephew Gus Gus for a little while because when he was first born, because his name is Augustus. And, like, Gus comes from Augustus, not from Octavius. That's so weird. I don't know. That's something we'd have to look at etymology-wise. But I guess she's given each of them those names and those clothes and probably rescued each and every one of them. So one thing that I found especially chilling about the stepmother is just how real she seems how many people I've met in my life that are just like her because you know she's she's called the evil stepmother but she's not really evil in the way like Maleficent is or something like that but she is just cunning and cutting in everything she does where she says you know you can go to the ball if you can find something suitable to wear and then she says I don't I never go back on my word but Cinderella did find something suitable to wear, even if it was discarded rejects that her stepsisters had thrown out. She had found it and it was suitable to wear. But that's, you know, the stepmother twisted her own words to get what she wanted. And like, just, I don't know, everything about her. I just, I've, I've met people like that in real life who they're always right and everything's about them and they find ways to twist things to be their own. So, like I said, I found that particularly chilling just because she's such a believable character. She's not pure evil. She's just so selfish that she doesn't care at all about Cinderella. Yeah. Something else I noticed right, you know, right after that scene is people make fun of the, oh, well, the princess thing to do is to run out and fall dramatically and weep, you know? But it's like, can you blame Cinderella? How else? How would you have reacted? Like, my gosh, her spirit is completely broken. She has no hope, but she does have a sliver of hope, and that's why the fairy godmother shows up. If you, like, actually listen to the things she's saying when she's thrown herself on that bench and weeping, it is just heartbreaking. And, And that's another instance where I feel like, having watched Ever After quite a bit growing up, Um, influenced my viewing of Cinderella just now. Um, Because Ever After was one of my sister's favorite movies, so I watched it a lot. And uh, at the very beginning of Cinderella, I I wrote... I I had completely forgotten about that intro stuff, where it shows through storybooks and narration um, the story of like her father remarrying and then passing away, and so then the stepmother showed her true cold nature and all that. Like, I forgot that that was in this movie. I I legitimately had thought that the Disney version just kind of started with her living with her stepmother with no real explanation of what happened prior to that. And and so that backstory was filled in by Ever After because it shows several minutes of the scenes of, you know, her with her father and stuff. And it's not exactly the same because it's a a different interpretation of the story. Um, But I feel like uh, this particular bit with the dress, too was informed by my watching of Ever After, because in that movie, the dress that she has is from her mother, and it's one of the last keepsakes that she has from her mother who passed away when she was very young. And so 
watching the Disney Cinderella, seeing her say, you know, it's my mother's dress and and that like I don't know, it made it made it more impactful to me knowing more of the backstory. Yeah. It's hard not for it's hard for me to not think of the live action while watching it cuz it just does such a good job with the backstory and giving a depth to even the stepmother that oh, so good. And the I mean, I know this isn't about live action Cinderella, but the the branch. Uh do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Before he goes off on the trip where he inevitably passes away, uh, you know, the stepsisters ask for, I don't know, frivolous things, the umbrella, jewels, and she asks for the first branch that touches your shoulder on your journey. That way you have to carry it with you the rest of your journey and think of me. And so when the person comes back and tells them about his passing, what happened, he gives her the branch, and it just breaks my heart. Ugh. Yeah, yeah, I remember that now that you mention it. Oh, yeah. And and can I just say, so on the, while we're on the topic of the live action, um, I <laughs> I wrote in my notes while we're watching this, eh, the fairy godmother's pretty great, but she's no Helena Bonham Carter. <laughs> because she did, Helena Bonham Carter is a treasure, and she just absolutely killed that role. And it was so much fun watching, because this was, I think this was the first time I've watched the animated movie since I saw the live action one. And so, with how sassy Helena Bonham Carter plays the role in the live action, going back and watching this, I noticed, like, wow, the fairy godmother actually is a little bit sassy in this. And so, like, I don't know, I, I thought at first that that was just Helena Bonham Carter bringing a bit of her own personality to the role um but then oh it was it was when uh lucifer was trying to catch gus gus again and the fairy godmother was in the process of turning him into a horse and so lucifer's all of a sudden on the back of a big horse and gus gus in horse form now nays at him and scares him half to death and he and lucifer goes running out of the thing and cinderella being how sweet she is she's like oh poor gus gus and the fairy godmother's like serves him right i say (laughs) It's just, it's, it's just a little tiny thing, but it's like, man, that's, that's pretty sassy. I like it. Yeah. It's almost like, come on, Cinderella. You don't have to find the good at everybody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Some people are uh, past redemption, especially if they're named after the literal devil. Mm-hmm. It's like, the cat's name is Lucifer. <laughs> like. <laughs> yep. Weirdly enough, just a real. Just rabbit trailing here. But uh, weirdly enough, I wrote down, the stepmother's hair really reminds me of the Red Queen from Alice in Wonderland. Which was Helena Bottom Carter in the live action. <laughs> so, moving on to the music, I think. I will be singing every single one of these songs for at least the next week, two weeks, maybe a month. So, to be completely honest, I have never liked that first song the introduction where it's cinderella i can't even remember how it goes um cinderella. yeah that one yeah yeah um I've, I've never liked that first song the cinderella because i don't know it just feels very <laughs> i mean this this is gonna sound stupid but it feels very cliche storybook movie opening which i now realize as i'm saying that this is the movie that started that. And so it wasn't cliche at the time, but I just, I don't know. I don't really care for that kind of intro music. Um, but I did like the rest of the music. I, th- I thought it was a lot better than even Snow White, because like I said, when we reviewed that, I hate that 
insane amount of vibrato that people used to use in their voices and it seems like by cinderella's era they had kind of gotten past that a little bit um yeah the singing is very normal and i don't know i just all the songs like i forgot how good they are like mm-hmm. they're so good i mean a dream is the wish your heart makes and then like i forgot how much i adore the song where they're making the dress for cinderella yeah um so i i noticed when that song was happening I was very impressed with how clearly you could hear what they were saying. Because for a lot of that first part of the movie, um, I had been really straining to try to tell what the mice were saying. And I realized they're, they're speaking with heavy accents because they're mice, for one thing. But also, like, they're not saying anything too terribly important. So, like, if you miss it here or there, you'll find out by context what they were talking about. But I was, I was still trying to listen close. Um, but then in the song, it felt like they were much easier to understand. And I, I think that was probably intentional where we still want them to sound like mice singing. And to me, they sounded like the chipmunks, um, but in a good way, where, where it was easy to hear what they were talking about. Side note, uh, exhibit B or two of this is obviously in France is the one mice, the one of the mouse, his name is Jacques. Yeah. So just side note, but. Anyways, yeah, I just really love that song, and I also really like the transition of you hearing the stepsister singing Sweet Nightingale, and it's just like, my ear's about to split, and then you hear Cinderella singing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's another one of the songs that I never really cared for, but I like it more after this watching of the movie, um, just because remembering the context of it. Um, I mean, literally, it's just the word Sweet Nightingale over and over and over again, which is kind of dumb and lazy songwriting if you ask me but it works as just a for the for the stepsisters a practice song and for cinderella a working song it just shows how much spirit she still has you know she's still singing while she works yeah and um i gotta say it takes talent to sing as badly as those stepsisters (laughs) did (laughs) um they, they were pretty bad um but yeah, I agree. The mouse, the mouse song was great. Um, really, all the songs except for the first one were really good. Like I said, I don't particularly care for that style of music, but it's not that it was bad. It just it's not for me. Um, but the rest of them were all very good. Uh, and I, I had forgotten that this is where a dream is a wish a heart makes come from because I think there's several similar kinds of songs. In Disney movies, like when you wish upon a star and a dream is a wish a heart makes. And so I kind of get confused of which one goes with which movie. Um, but now seeing it, it makes sense because she was having a dream and it was a good dream. So she couldn't say what the dream was because it was like it was a wish. And so I'll probably remember now that this song goes with this movie. So moving on to uh, the acting and animation and all, this movie was fantastic. I, I had very, very little to even consider complaining about. Yeah, I agree. I was going to note that, you know, we can't have, like, a Disney princess movie without, like, a little cute bubble scene. It's like, Disney's like, we can do bubbles really well. We're going to make bubbles into this somehow. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah, um, honestly, the only possible gripe I could have had with the quality of the movie is just, in for the first few minutes, it feels like... S- the animation of Cinderella's mouth is a little bit off. Like, it's not dubbed quite right. Um, but I think that was more due to the limitations of 
the animation at the time because they were working with a lot lower frames per second and a lot lower resolution than we have in modern times. Um, and so even though it looked a little bit uncanny, I, I got used to it. And I, I honestly wasn't even paying attention to see if it was a problem later in the movie or not, because everything else looks so good. I just there were there were times where I would think, is there anything wrong with this that I should be taking notes of? Because I was getting sucked into the story so much that I wasn't even really thinking about the quality. And then when I did have that moment of, should I be looking for something? Is there anything about this that doesn't look right? Is there anything to nitpick? I couldn't find anything. Yeah, I, I, I just have such nostalgia for this movie. It's really hard to find anything that I don't like about it. And animation particularly, I... I can't think of any scenes that I really really like. That did not look good, or or ugh, that character did not look good. Yeah, and all the acting was fantastic. Even cases where there was like you know severe overacting with the king, it was intentional. He's supposed to be goofy, you know. I mean, they've got him like almost falling out of the out of the balcony that he's yelling down at the people when the prince is meeting the fair maidens of the land um, and things like that. But, you know, he's intentionally a goofy character. He shoves like 50 cigars into the Grand Duke's mouth later in the movie. And then he cuts one in half with a sword in anger. You know, it's like this. He's just an over-the-top character. But it was so well done. Yeah, the jumping up and down on the bed and getting yes! stuck in the chandelier. It was so good. It was so over-the-top, but it was so good. Also, with the speaking of the Grand Duke up there in the balcony... I love that little bit where he's using his monocle as a yo-yo. It's just so cute and so clever. There's no way that's ever been a thing, like a monocle on a retractable leash or anything like that. And it's like rolling up along the outside of it. It's It's really funny and clever. It's just an example of Disney animators using their imaginations in really fun ways. And that just kind of brings me back a little bit to the plot, but like... Him making fun of the king, like, what did you expect? He was just gonna be bowing and then look up and see the woman that he wants to spend the rest of his life with and whatever, and what goes on and on. And it's just, I love that so much. Just totally making fun of, like, the instant falling in love thing. So I actually wrote down a direct quote because I like that so much. And he says... A pretty plot for t- fairy tales, sire, but in real life, which is just so funny because it's a fairy tale. Like, we're watching a fairy tale, and they're acknowledging that fairy tale endings are not normal. But then we get a fairy tale happily ever after anyway, because it is a fairy tale. I, I just love that. Agreed. So self-aware. Yeah. So good. Also, uh, just one other note. Is it's just so good. You're just such in, in such a suspension of disbelief. Like when the stepmother trips the guy in the slipper, flying through the air, and it shatters. And your heart is like broken for Cinderella as well. In that moment, you're like, no. And for the Duke especially, because you're like, oh, bless him, he's gonna get fired. <laughs> you know, and, get murdered by the king. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then. <laughs> And Cinderella, just being adorable, she says, if it would help, and pulls out the other slipper. Of course it would help. Duh. But technically she says, if it would help, I have the other slipper. And it's just like the music at that point yeah. in the back. Ugh. I just think it's so funny. Just the the sweet innocence in her voice of like, I 
I don't know if it would help, but here's the other slipper. That might be useful. <laughs> also, like, the shock on the stepmother's face. Like, she clearly knew, but she was still shocked. I'm like, what? What? <laughs> I mean, I guess she didn't know she had the other shoe, but still, it was just kind of like, you knew. So I've just got a couple of really quick... Uh, Rapid fire notes that I found funny or interesting in this. So, uh, first of all, Lucifer is trying to go in the rooms and he keeps getting bonked on the nose and there's a little honk every time. <laughs> and, and I didn't notice it for the first one. And then I, the second one, I noticed it. And then at the end of the third one, and it's like, <laughs> they, they wanted that to be really funny. So they did like a clown bonk honking noise whenever he bonks his nose, which just seemed like a very cute little detail that you might miss but it adds something to the movie also when they make the dress for cinderella and everyone's like a surprise for you a surprise and gus gus is happy muff day <laughs> it's just so adorable but frosty simian stole that from him yeah <laughs> oh and one more thing i wanted to know I feel like this is a widely known fact, but I don't know that it's actually a widely known fact, and I'm just like a Disney geek, but the whole Cinderella dress transformation is Walt's favorite piece of Disney animation, and rewatching it tonight is like, oh, I see why. It's so good. Oh, I did have one other note about the animation, and I don't know if this is a problem with me or a problem with the movie. What color is Cinderella's hair, and what color is Cinderella's dress? Because depending on the scene... She's a blonde, a redhead, or a brunette, and depending on the scene, her dress is white or blue. So she's definitely intended to be a redhead. Okay. The dress, I really feel like it's white. Gotcha. Yeah, because like, there's a couple scenes where it's much more blue, and I feel like in Disney Princess merch now, like she's kind of more blonde in a blue dress, but I, I feel like I've heard that she was intended to be like strawberry blonde, so like... That'd be hard to do with the limitations of animation back then because it's kind of yellow and orange together. So I don't know. Yeah, that's why, uh, like, technically Elsa's the only blonde haired, blue eyed princess. Gotcha. Okay. Because Cinderella's actually, she does have blue eyes, but she's supposed to be a redhead. Gotcha. Okay. And then my last little uh, random note is the smashed pumpkin looked an awful lot like the smashed pumpkin from sleepy hollow which was in the last movie just saying there's a conspiracy afoot they were preparing for this <laughs> every movie it's like it's like pixar always leaves little hints towards the next movie little easter eggs that you only see when you go back and rewatch the old ones uh and in the, disney's case it was more like we're trying things for the next movie <laughs> okay so overall and I feel like there's going to be a hint of recency bias with this and a this is not a package film bias with these ratings. But what's your rating? I want to say like eight or nine out of ten. It's like very nearly perfect. I had a couple of minor things about it and it does show its age a little bit in the animation. There are a few parts where it suffers from the same thing Dumbo did where like people who are standing really far away have no faces or things like that. But but those are really minor things. And overall, I would not have noticed any of these minor gripes if I wasn't intentionally looking for them. And the the biggest thing to me is that you're talking about a lot of the stuff out of nostalgia, and I don't have that nostalgia, and I still absolutely loved it. So I, I was blown away by this one. Like I said, it's, it's hard for a movie to be a perfect 10, but I'd say like probably a solid 9, honestly. Yeah, I think... 
at the the risk of sounding just completely biased, like I'm gonna give it a ten out of ten. Like, like I love this movie, and I'm super nostalgic, and it was like even better than I remembered. Okay, <laughs> like so good. So I'm just gonna go ahead. This will be my first in. I don't know if it'll be my only 10 out of 10, but I think I'm going to go 10 out of 10. Yeah. yeah, honestly, I probably would give it a 10 if I didn't know we also had like 48 more movies to go <laughs> that I have to judge. And it's like, if there's a movie that's on par with this one, I have to give it a 10. Is kind of how my mentality is, you know? Yeah, I'm definitely going to have a few other 10 out of 10s, and I could probably guess what they're going to be already, but... This week, nobody sent in any emails or commented on our Instagram or anything at all. That's shocking. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. So I guess we'll have to answer our own question. Last week, we asked, what's your favorite Halloween movie? So obviously, uh, Nightmare Before Christmas is really high up there. That's probably my favorite as far as like family-friendly Halloween movies. Well, that one and also, I don't know if it's family-friendly, but Corpse Bride. Yeah, Corpse Bride is a very good one. And I would consider it family friendly. I mean, it's it's kind of dark, but it's, you know, it's supposed to be a family friendly movie. Um, and then also uh, Coraline, while we're on the topic of claymation movies, Coraline is a fantastic movie uh, based on a fantastic book by Neil Gaiman, who is a fantastic author. A lot of fantastic going on in that last sentence there. Um, and then as far as like not family friendly movies, I really enjoy Saw and Sleepy Hollow and some of the classics like that. I'm, I don't really enjoy like the gory or like jump scare kind of movies. I just enjoy more of like psychological thrillers and things like that. Agreed. I, I like the psychological. I, I can't do gore. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like I just can't. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this week we wanted to have a better question than last week so that people will actually write in. Please write in because this is boring if we don't have stuff to read. Uh, but our question for you this week is, what is your favorite version of Cinderella? Of course, there's the animated version. There's the Disney live action. There's uh, Ever After. There's Whitney Houston's Cinderella from like 1997. There's there's like a billion Cinderella's. Yeah, don't forget a Cinderella story with uh, Hilary Duff. Yeah. Yeah. Is uh, Cinderella Man, is that actually a Cinderella story, or is it just named like that? I I think it's about boxing. I don't know. Okay, well then, I have no idea what I'm talking about. But anyway, because there are so many Cinderella's, I can't list them all. Let us know which one is your favorite, or if there are any that we didn't mention today that are really good adaptations of this story. Please just let us know so we can check them out, because this is a really fun fairy tale whether it's the Disney version or not. I just have nostalgia, like, already thinking about, like, a Cinderella story with Hilary Duff. Never let the fear of dragging out keep you from playing the game. Okay, but moving on. Is that <laughs> you- what uh, Metamorphosis was about? Was her metamorphosing from Cinderella into a princess? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but you can share your nostalgic Cinderella stories with us. Uh, on Twitter or Instagram at Disney Ages, or you can email your answer to DisneyAgesPodcast at gmail.com. Songs in the show are produced by Kevin McLeod and are used under the Creative Commons license. As always, the information for all of that is in the show notes, and you can also check there to uh, find our social media and email address in case you forgot it. That's all we have for you this week, so come back next week to find out how a raven is like a writing desk in Alice in Wonderland. Until next time. See ya! See ya!